Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition here, the DC Insider Employer Update. This is David Fortney again, and joining me, I've got both Bert and Nita. Hi, Bert. Hi, David. Hi, Nita. Glad to be back. Hi, David. Hi, Bert. It's getting ready for turkey time. Getting ready for turkey time, but also kind of recovering from these midterm elections. There's so many aspects, and we've had a lot of discussions internally about the elections, about all we can talk about, it seems. But what do these elections mean for employers? And that's really what we want to tease out. And I think that everyone understands this was a historic election for many reasons. Number one, the Democrats, the party in power, President Biden, relatively speaking, did pretty darn well. Usually there is a, an effort to turn against whoever is controlling the White House, although that happened a little bit, not nearly up to the normal historical standards. Indeed, I believe it's a historic achievement that Biden and the Democrats did as well as they did. And I think detected, and this does relate to how the issues involving the workplace are going to be treated, but there clearly were some trends that we saw in some of these statewide races. That is, once we get out of specific congressional districts that largely have been gerrymandered, but look at statewide races, there are some clear overarching results, generally speaking. There was a strong anti-Trump vote. There was a strong reaction, adverse reaction, to the Supreme Court's ruling in Dobbs and the rolling back of abortion rights. And there also, I think, was a general consensus that these extreme views on either side were not helpful. And the electorate, generally speaking, in these statewide elections really seem to be animated by those. I think, though, what, and this is really important, I think, for us unpacking what this means for the Biden administration, I did not read most of this as being a pro-Biden referendum, even though President Biden and his team did very well. What we're left with, very deeply divided Congress with very narrow margins. And it's unclear what those deep divides are going to mean on bills and issues for employers. We're going to certainly see the impact of this election coming up in the remaining days of the 117th Congress, the so-called lame duck Congress, and of course, the new 118th when it convenes on January 3rd. But let's jump right in. Let's talk about the lame duck because that's what's in front of us now. Yeah, David, if you don't mind, let me pick up with that because I've been following it rather closely. The lame duck session remains critical, but somehow the pressure is off because the Senate is going to stay Democratic and the House is going to be so close, we're not even sure. But for the lame duck, it's the old Congress with the Democrats in charge. So the pressure is off to get stuff done because some stuff can be pushed off into the 118th Congress. There is a big budget vote coming on the 16th of uh, December. We'll see whether there's going to be some tailwind from the election as to whether there's going to be a budget or another uh, continuing resolution, which the president does not want. We know that there's going to be a defense appropriation bill. There may be a Ukraine bill. We don't know exactly 
what else is going to happen? We're pretty sure they're going to try to meet the debt ceiling, which is not due until next year, but they want to try to get it done and try to get rid of it so that that's not an issue for the new Congress. Interestingly, on the 16th of November, the Marriage Equality Act, that's the same-sex marriage act, won its first procedural vote by a filibuster-proof majority. The Non-Disclosure Act bill, which means that you can't prevent someone who's a victim of sexual harassment or sexual assault from speaking out, that is also moving to passage, may be a harbinger of what's going to happen in the battle lines coming in the next Congress. Republicans seem to be understanding that their traditional base is kind of splintering and that women and young people are voting in great numbers. And for the Democrats, of course, judges are still the main thing that's going to be on their ticket. But again, the pressure is off because as a Democratic Senate coming in the 118th Congress, the last thing I think we can talk about is the Election Reform Act still hasn't been brought forward. But if the Non-Disclosure Act and the Same-Sex Marriage Act are indications, maybe there's going to be some movement. Well, I think that's an important point, Bert. I think there's a lot of disagreement. The Marriage Act, as I understand it, they had a bipartisan agreement. There were some issues around the religious accommodation aspect, which seems to be an issue in a lot of these situations. But I think the judges, as well as I think David and Bert, another very important thing is there are a bunch of people that haven't been confirmed as nominees. Most importantly, the EEOC commissioner, especially now that the former chair has officially resigned as of Friday, the 18th, and that would be Janet Dillon's last day as an EEOC commissioner. And we also got the wage and hour. And as I understand it, the wage and hour nominee, it looks like she's going to be voted on very soon. She was actually supposed to be voted on before the election. That's right. And so these agency vacancies, I just would note, we're two years into this administration effectively now. And some of these, you know, uh, having a full complement of EEOC commissioners, uh, the NLRB is about to have a member roll off, John Ring. So a new nominee, a Republican, so maybe the administration doesn't care about that as much. The wage hour administrator, the only nominee of, of any profile that didn't make it through the nomination process, David Weil, and that's with a friendly Senate, although with a narrow margin, didn't make it. Will they do better in the 118th? I don't know. Will they get any of this cleaned up in the lame duck? That's not clear either. I do think that the response that we're seeing from Republicans as they begin to recalibrate, you know, I don't know whether they view it as good politics to, quote, get along, but on some of these issues, they may view it as politically advantageous to demonstrate their commitment to key interest groups. So the Marriage Equality Act and some of these other efforts that are underway, and I think that'll become more pronounced in the 118th. I just want to follow up one thing to what Bert was saying about judges. They have nominated and confirmed more judges than Trump did in the first two years, and we know how he did that. And because of all the toing and froing during the Obama administration, they were way behind. They have in the queue 12 more Court of Appeals judges and 45 more district court judges. So I expect them to push those through quickly. I agree. And the question is, do they leave town on the 16th of December? Do they end up staying till Christmas Eve? My bet is yes, they probably will be here till Christmas Eve. They'll be very grumpy, but they are going to try to pack as much into this lame duck as possible 
simply because the Democrats certainly control the House, albeit with a small margin now, and they will not come January 3rd. One other thing I just wanted to point out, and I saw this in the marriage act vote is a number of senators are not they are resigning they're done and they didn't go for re-election and they seem to be more interested in passing some of these probably as part of their what their history legacy. is and the legacy vote yeah yeah i think i think that's true well Bert, what about this new republican house that we've got coming on because starting january 3rd although we're still sorting out what the margin is by at least a slim margin i think we can say the republicans will control the house of representatives <laughs> They will control the House of Representatives, and that's enormously important. It's, you know, in England, they call the first of the post rule. So even if their majority is one, and it may be close to one, the projections are between two and five. I mean, it's the narrowest majority we can think of. They get to pick the speaker. They get to control the committees. They get to pick the committee chairs, and they control the agenda. But one of the things people and, and, you know, all of the legislative stuff is so tight I'm going to ignore that for now, and let's focus on what we know is going to happen. And one of the things, when David and I were in government, we were part of divided government. And one of the things that we had to deal with was prepping the secretary and the agency heads for congressional oversight. And we know that's going to happen. Virginia Fox from North Carolina has already gotten the votes to get a waiver to be the chair of the House Labor Committee, and she's already announced that she will be investigating the NLRB, that she will do oversight on every regulation from the Wage and Hour Administration, from the OFCCP, from OSHA, from the EEOC. The constant questioning is an enormous burden on time and energy. I can't tell you how much effort, well, when the secretary is being called before Congress, it's like preparing for trial. I mean, most everything else stops and you get ready to go to Congress. And if you were in our jobs, you sat right behind and pretty sure it's going to happen. And there's also even talk among some of the Republicans of using the Congressional Review Act to try to block some of the regulations on joint employer, on independent contractor, on overtime rules, just to force Biden to make a potentially difficult veto. One other thing I wanted to point out is when Dr. Fox had the opportunity, they had an oversight hearing with EEOC and OFCCP. It was not a friendly hearing on her part. She went (laughs) after the chair very hard on pay data collection, what a burden it was. So I expect her to be very sharp, and it will be no fun for the chair or any of the other heads of the agencies. I think that the other agency that's going to pick up a lot of heat, and Bert, you mentioned it's the NLRB. I actually think that's perhaps the top of the list because there's a general perception among the Republicans that that agency is fully out of control, going rogue, as the staff likes to say over there. Well, one of the other things, of course, going back to Civics 101, budgets. Budgets start in the House of Representatives. And the newly constituted 118th Congress, that Republican majority, by however slim it is, they will be the ones putting together the budget for next October in 2023, which, of course, is for federal fiscal year 2024. So in about eight, nine months, this is effectively the last budget that this administration is going to get that's dictated by friendly representatives. Its last and final budget, at least for this term, will be decided or at least initiated by this Republican House. And I think that's likely to be very telling and quite different than what we currently are going to see. 
And I think finally, we just want to mention is this will be McCarthy's first opportunity to be the speaker. He has not ever had this situation before, and he has his hands full. There are hundred over 180 election deniers. That means people that are relatively hard right in the Republican ranks, and they will make their desires, including impeachment of various, the president and others, known in order for Kevin McCarthy to be the speaker. So, Nita, in addition to the challenges that are in the House that Speaker McCarthy will have, what about the Senate in the new Congress part? That also is going to be interesting. It certainly is. And let's start with the elephant in the room. Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont is going to be the chair of the Senate Help Committee. As far as I'm concerned, that's going to be a platform. It's not going to be a springboard for legislation because the legislation is going to die in the House. But Bernie can feel the burn and upstage the president by trying to be more pro-worker, and he can press for more executive actions. I think that even with 51, the Democrats are going to have some of the same difficulties they've shown in getting confirmations in. If they get to 51, if Georgia stays Democratic, some of the pressure is off. Uh, If you want to look at losers and winners, the biggest losers on the Democratic ticket are Senators Manchin and Sinema because their influence will just about disappear. But the important thing to think about in the Senate beyond confirmations is that the legislative agenda of the Biden administration will effectively end, because no matter what the Senate proposes, the House will not act on. So I think we have to look again and try to remember the perils, benefits, whatever characterization you want, of divided government, because that's what we're going to have. So I think divided government really puts us things of significance, with some exceptions perhaps, are not getting done on the Hill, then the Biden administration has no choice but to really primarily look to its executive agencies to power through the balance of its agenda, whatever has not been otherwise implemented. And it seems to me that the executive agencies really have to step forward more aggressively than we've seen with respect to regulations and some of the initiatives. And let's take one, the PRO Act, which was one of the initial legislative efforts that the administration could not get through with a controlling both sides, by, albeit by narrow margins of Congress. Both houses of Congress still could not get the PRO Act through. The administration has been working diligently to try to develop implementation strategies. And the most recently, in the last week or two, the second White House report on how agencies can coordinate and promote union organizing has been issued by the White House and is to be implemented by the agencies. And if you want to see what that effort looks like, go to dol.gov on your browser. And there the huge splash page is, want more information? Want to join a union? Click here. There's no way even to option out. And by the way, that's not even what the Labor Department addresses. But nonetheless, that is what the Labor Department has as their primary splash page. I think there's other stuff that's going to happen. And I think we have to look to the cabinet. This is normally a time when you get cabinet changes. We know Secretary Mayorkas may be facing an impeachment hearing. So he's under pressure at HHS. And we think there are other cabinet members who are going to be looking to their elective political futures. So please keep an eye out for that. The other thing I think uh, we are going to see, we've been surprised, to be honest, that the EEOC has not done more. Well, we know why, because with three Republicans and two Democrats, the chair Burroughs has had limitations. We believe that they will get their new commissioner. 
We believe that will occur. I think they're going to push for that, if not during the lame duck shortly. And that will mean pay data collection. That will mean harassment regulations. And we also believe that AI regulations will be coming out as well in some order in the next year or so. And in addition, I see Secretary Walsh leading the Labor Department and really putting the pedal to the metal to get some of these regulations that have been proposed and pending sorted, finalized, and issued, and specifically on independent contractor, on the proposed overtime threshold, on the new joint employer, as well as on some of the ESG regulations. These are all regulations that that have been talked about and to varying degrees are underway now but I think they will be expedited. Also, I would note OFCCP, we anticipate a major regulatory overhaul coming in the next six months in which it is going to reimagine itself moving to functional AAPs, steering away from traditional affirmative action, and really focusing on non-discrimination enforcement directed at federal contractors. Be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, uh, David, you mentioned the NLRB earlier, and I'd like to just pursue them a little while. They continue to be the most aggressive uh, of all of the agencies of the federal government, especially insofar as protecting unionization. They are undertaking some precedent-breaking actions. They've increased unfair labor practice fines. They expanded recoveries. They're going for nationwide injunctions against employers. They're seeking recognition of unions by authorization cards. Their suits against employer speech. They're going to be, all of this stuff comes a cropper because all of these NLRB decisions are going to be appealed to the appellate level courts. And there are going to be gladiatorial battles and uh, neither side taking prisoners. Uh, the judges are always win those battles. And so far, the prediction is that some of the NLRB presidential decisions are a kind of statutory overreach. And they may be struck down, but watch out for that because that's going to be where the action is. I agree, and I wouldn't even qualify it. It's clearly statutory overreach. It will be struck down, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, well, also, we've touched on this before, but I want to remind folks as we're looking what the new environment is, some of the non-traditional agencies, and specifically, we see the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, moving forward on human capital metrics. Absolutely, as well as ESG-related regulations, that is going to happen. The FTC is going to move forward in two important areas, both non-competes and the use of artificial intelligence. And there's going to be regulations pushed out there, again, in the very near future, between six to 12 months. These are going to be quite unchartered in terms of the scope and magnitude of having these agencies now join this constellation of federal agencies that are issuing regulations that our clients are going to need to worry about. Meanwhile, the courts have been very unfriendly. You know, guys, this really goes back, if you think about it, to the end of the Obama administration, where there really was a concerted effort to stop regulations and say that they went too far. And I believe that the issuance of executive orders that go farther than what the statutory requirements are is coming to an end. The a good example of that, I think, is the president's attempt early in the pandemic to leverage his authority under the Procurement Act. And recall, he extended the $15 minimum wage. He implemented the vaccination mandates on federal contractors. Those are now being cut back by the federal circuit courts, the courts of appeal, 
and finding that that is too attenuated, too far removed, and exercise authority or attempt to exercise authority not authorized by the Procurement Act. I think the upshot is going to be, A, I think the Supreme Court is going to look at those cases. B, the presidential authority, certainly under the Procurement Act, is going to be significantly curtailed. You know, David, I think you're absolutely right. And I think the other thing we ought to look at is the way the courts are addressing these regulations. We are now getting national injunctions, which we never used to see from district courts that are just banning regulations even before they've been properly assessed at the appellate court level. So we have a very activist judiciary at the same time that we have an activist agencies. Well, and finally, the Supreme Court, which is the cherry on the Sunday in this trend, we know this term. We're highly confident. We're going to see further expansion and application of the major question doctrine. We're going to see the court rule on the Fair Labor Standards Act highly compensated exemption rule and whether that's valid. We're going to see whether preemption continues under the LMRDA. And finally, of course, the student admissions and the whole concept of affirmative action, that is going to be unpacked too. So I think the next six to 12 months it's not going to be Congress. Congress may have a few surprises. It's really going to be in these other areas that we're going to see most of it. Well, we could really go on for several hours on this, but under our <laughs> time constraints, we are limited somewhat. So, Bert, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you the first opportunity. What's the takeaway? What do we learn from all of this? Well, What's your takeaway? I'm going to leave election prognosticating to others and go back to the agencies and the courts. I think we're going to see a battle royal between the agencies trying to be more active and the courts questioning their authority to do so. Well, I'll go next. Immigration, which has really been a third rail issue for all politicians, continues to be challenging. The DACA program, how it's implemented, and most recently, Title 42 being found to be invalid by the courts, which potentially sets up a gateway for thousands to seek admission to the U.S., and the Biden administration is going to be under enormous challenges in how it responds to immigration. Nita, you get the last word. Something we haven't talked about is the layoffs in tech. You know, just four or five months ago, they were desperate for people. Now they're laying them off in the thousands. What kind of an impact laying off, you know, highly compensated people is going to have on the economy generally? I agree. And that, I think, will provide the backdrop through which all these other potential changes and pressures get sorted out. All right. Well, listen, another great discussion. Nita Burt, thank you both. And everyone, if you aren't pleasure. a subscriber <laughs> yet, please hit that uh, subscribe button. Join us. Uh, we love talking about this stuff. DC Insider, Employer Update. Join us. And Nita and Burt, thank you both very much, as always. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.